All right, so 1 Samuel 12, they're starting verse 1. Samuel said to all Israel, I've listened to everything you said to me, and I've set a king over you. Now you have a king as your leader. As for me, I'm old and gray, and my sons are here with you. I've been your leader from my youth until this day. Here I stand. Testify against me in the presence of the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? From whose hand have I accepted a bribe to make me shut my eyes? If I have done any of these things, I will make it right. You have not cheated or oppressed us, they replied. You have not taken anything from anyone's hand. Samuel said to them, the Lord is witness against you, and also his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. He is witness, they said. Then Samuel said to them, it is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your ancestors up out of Egypt. Now then, stand here, because I'm going to confront you with evidence before the Lord as to all the righteous acts performed by the Lord for you and your ancestors. After Jacob entered Egypt, they cried to the Lord for help. And the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your ancestors out of Egypt, and settled them in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God, so he sold them into the land of Sisera, or the hand of Sisera, the commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hands of the Philistines, the king of Moab, who fought against them. They cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned, we have forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and Asterisks. But now deliver us from the hands of our enemies, and we will serve you. Then the Lord sent Jeroboam, Barak, Jephthah, and Samuel, and he delivered you from the hands of your enemies all around you, so that you lived in safety. But when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, was moving against you, he said to me, No, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God was your king. Now here is the king you have chosen, the one you asked for. See, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve and obey and do not rebel against his commands, and if both you and the king who reign over you follow the Lord your God, good. But if you do not obey the Lord, and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. Now then, stand still and see this great thing the Lord is about to do before your eyes. It is, not wheat, is it not wheat harvest now? I will call on the Lord to send thunder and rain, and you will realize what an evil thing you did in the eyes of the Lord when you asked for a king. Then Samuel called on the Lord, and the same day the Lord said, Thunder and rain. So all the people stood in awe of the Lord and Samuel. The people all said to Samuel, Pray to the Lord your God for your servants, so that we will not die. For we have added to all our other sins the evil of asking for a king. Do not be afraid, Samuel replied. You've done all this evil, yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your hearts. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can, do, they can do you no good, nor can they rescue you, because they are useless. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject you, his people, because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Yet if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. Amen. Let's pray over the passage and we'll jump into the sermon. Dear Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this chance that we can gather here and just dig into your word, Lord. I just pray that, um, yeah, we allowed your word to expose us and that we can have soft hearts as we approach it and that... Um, yeah, you can really speak through to us and help us see and understand um, 
our sin and help us, you know, make sure we are completely rooted in you and that um, there are no idols um, or that we get rid of any idols in our heart, Lord. I just thank you for this day and love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All righty. So Samuel and this whole book is a narrative, right? So I'm going to do like a little previously on, right? So in Samuel 8, he, people come to Samuel after being saved by God. And they ask, give us a king, you know, and he says, gives them this stark, stark warning that, you know, this isn't going to turn out well for you. Don't, don't do this. Don't go down this path. But they push it anyway. And so God gives into them or into this, you know, sinful request and gives them a king despite the warning. This is a bad idea. And Samuel then begins the process with Saul in chapters 9 to 11. We see Saul um, it's a little rocky, you know, he has his insecurities and he's, um, you know, not the perfect guy as we've gone through. But last week we got a glimpse of humility and repentance. He saves the people and unites Israel, you know, hooray. What a celebration. This is exactly what the Israelites wanted, a king to rule over them, to protect them and to unite them. In their mind, this is, you know, this is what they wanted. This is what they get. And so this is where we get, um, you know, Samuel in chapter 12. Now, I mean, in a sense kind of ripping into them for their request. So they, if you remember from last week, you know, they addressed the outward um, threat of the, the foreign nations attacking them. Then they addressed the inward threat of the gossip amongst everyone. And now Samuel's going after their hearts. And the nature of solving issues, we're going to go after the sin within your heart. Uh, sorry, slide. Yeah, that was just summary. Slide again. So Samuel goes after this deep-rooted sin, as we've you know, somewhat already hinted towards, you know, people's hearts love to make idols, right? That's the, um, that's the sin embedded within them, and that why their sin in asking for a king, to put it in, make their king a useless idol. And so he does this in a very, I, don't know, I find, interesting way, right? At first in Samuel 8, it was a warning, but now if you read through this, it reads like a court case. Right? Israel is on trial. And so he first goes after him and he establishes his character. Right, Have I not been good to you? Have I not been reliable? Is my word not worthy? Right? So he's establishing his character first. And so you know, before then they say, no, you, you, know, you have done good. Despite them basically disowning them, right? he still serves them and is trying to work the best for them and for God and his kingdom. So the character is established. Now then he presents the case. He gives them the facts, right? God has continuously been there with you, continuously working for you, delivering you and saving you at every stage, albeit through people, right? Like Aaron, Moses, that's when he lists those people. But it's still God is the one who's delivering you. And so he presents the facts and he, he's trying to bring them and expose them to this point to, for them to see that the sin, it, making the king their idol, right? And the sin is their heart is, it's, is that. They see the other nations around them and they see, you know, what a strong nation, what a big army, what wealth, what security they have. And they see those things and they want it. And they think it can be obtained in an earthly human king. And they, this king becomes an idol to them, as we saw the last passage, right? This is, this is what they wanted. The king has saved them. Now they can put their security in that, right? And God's trying to help them, and Samuel's trying to help them see that these idols won't you know, provide for you. They won't give you what you're after. They're useless, there in the next slide. Yeah, Timothy Keller, is that? Yeah, Timothy Keller talks quite a bit about this. Um, he writes a whole book on it, actually. It's called Counterfeit Gods. 
Um, and in there, there's this great passage that, um, you know, he attributes idols to whatever you look at and say in your heart or hearts, if I have that, then my life has meaning. Then I'll know if I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. There are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something. Perhaps the best one is worship. Right? These idols become objects of worship for us, right? And so you can establish, you can put in whatever you want. I mean, to say that you don't idolize things, I mean, you're fooling yourself. Like, the, as we've talked about many times, you know, there's this smugness that we can approach the Israelites with. Like, how could they, you know, God's done all this and they turn away. Like, we do the same thing. We create idols in our own hearts as well. Um, I mean, particularly with leaders. I mean, if you look at America right now, like, this election's crazy, right? I'm an American, so I've been watching it. But you know, so many people have established their hope and security into Trump or Biden or whoever the you know might be, or Kanye West. He's going for president as well. But they look to these people for security, right? And so, what happens when Trump, for say, isn't elected, and I've established that in him? Well, then your life's you know torn apart. Like you, what you put your hope into is gone, and. There's misery that follows that and doom. No wonder these people lash out in fear because that's what they've established themselves in. And establishing ourselves in these idols is dangerous for that reason. Is they, won't, they won't give you that meaning. They won't feed you, you know, what so many people are after. And again, to say that the church is you know, not prone to this is a lie as well because this is the exact thing Paul addresses in Corinthians. Like The, the very first thing he addresses is you know, you say, I follow Paul or Apollos or whatever, the, you know, these leaders may be in the church. And he's trying to tell them, like, look, like, these are, these are just people. Like, the, your security and yourself shouldn't be in your leaders. This leader says this. This leader says that. That doesn't matter. You know, you're following Christ. And the same thing here, you know, the Israelites are meant to be following God, not this human king. You know, just to, as another, I guess, one, I think a lot of people nowadays and modern times establish their security in is relationships with opposite sex. You know, if, if this person likes me, then I have value. If this person loves me, then I will have meaning. As soon as you elevate that, you know, those people in your life to the position of God, then you'll be struggling for true security and peace because man or woman is not meant to occupy that position. Only God can. You know, if you want to read more into this, Jeremiah 17 is a great passage that you know, gives a great um, visual example of what this looks like. You know, a man who puts in tr his trust in God is like a bush in the wasteland. Can't see when good times have come. It's just thirsty you know, for the next drop of water where they might get that meaning from. In contrary, the man who's established in God is like a tree next to a river, constantly flourishing green all year round regardless of what's happening. Um, so next slide. So how do we avoid establishing idols in our heart for these other things? Now, the first one is keeping soft hearts. You know, if we're going back to thinking about the passage, right, this is a court case. So Samuel's established his character, that it's good and he's, you know, of good character. He's, you know, presented the facts and how they've run. He's exposed the sin. And now it is time for sentencing. You know, verse 16, he's, you know, stand up. Hear what you know, your punishment is. And God's punishment and establishment of what Samuel has said comes in the form of thunder and rain on their crops. And this is a punishment because 
during the dry season, as, they, as you see there, it says during harvest season. So the rain would have ruined the crops and said, you know, no food. So they cry out to God and, you know, we have sinned, um, you know, we've added to our sin. And if you remember verse, back in verse Samuel 7, the people are, had gathered there together and um, the Philistines are gathered there to renew the covenant with God and the Philistines come and they're about to, you know, sweep Israel out and they do the same thing. They cry to God and he sends thunder and rain. It's very similar to what's happening here. Except the tables have turned in some sense. You know, the Philistines are no longer God's enemy. The Israelites are. They have become God's, God's enemy who deserves, you know, this punishment thundering down, right? And this wakes them up and exposes them, right? It, it gives them a dose of humility to see, oh, goodness, yes, we have sinned. They have forsaken God. And this humility is, um, I guess, what I want to take away from this bit is, you know, we need to have soft hearts to God's word. When we are exposed and shown the facts clearly, like, you know, in this court case, do we continue to weasel away or do we silence our pride and allow for the message to truly humble us? You know, to give the Israelites credit, they humbled themselves, yes. You know, but what did it need to take to get there? How many warnings did they need? You know, what did God and Samuel need to do to expose their hearts? They have been continually redeemed and saved by God, yet still ask for a king. They're warned that's stupid. They want it anyway. And now God has to thunder down on them before for them to understand their sin. You know, they could have softened their hearts much sooner in this process and saved a lot of, you know, troubles. As we see now, this king request is, is not going to go well as they had planned. It'll go as God has planned, but not as they had planned. You know, they, as I said, they could have softened their hearts much sooner to this. And it got me thinking, how many different, I guess, times or what does it take for, um, for you to humble out to the word, right? right? What, is, what does it take for you to truly see your sin? How many of these situations of, you know, being pushed do you have to, does it take for you to understand? You know, how many different people have to say the same thing to me about my character over and over again? How many, how much advice do I get? You know, like we saw in Samuel 8, the Israels didn't get any advice. They just said, we want this. You know, do I seek advice just to tick a box, but totally ignore it in the end? You know, do I blatantly refuse what God's word says? You know, we would save ourselves a lot of trouble listening to the correction the first time. A good practice like the Israelites did, right, is to reflect on your sin and see, you know, we have, we have added to our sin already. There is much already there. We need to have that stance of humility before God's will when we are corrected. And we need to, to be people with soft hearts towards God's word. You know, this is a vital step because without that humility towards your sin, you will continue down a path of destruction because you're living life according to your will and how you seem fit. So second point, how to keep um, ourselves from idolizing other things. The next slide. You know, the next thing is remember. And again, we've already discussed this a little bit, but it's worth to continue and go through again because it's something repeated consistently. Remember, remember, remember. You know, some commentators view this chapter as a covenant renewal, right? They already had a covenant with Abraham and Moses, but now since things have changed a little bit, Israel has sinned a lot more <laughs> and have established a king. You know, there's a need for a renewing of the covenant. You know, I've been thinking about this. It's almost like renewing your wedding vows. Um, I asked Lonnie if she wanted to renew her wedding vows, our wedding vows. She said, no, it's probably 
doesn't speak well if we're renewing our vows after a year of not even being married. But <laughs> but that's uh, you know that's funny because you know wedding vows happen after a long you know a long time after a lot has happened and according to the knot.com people generally renew after a rocky period within their marriage. You know the vows themselves don't really change when you do do renewal of the vows. Um, you know you're still committed to each other wholly. But you really need that reminder of what we are committed to, and that's to each other. In the same way, liking to the wedding vows, we're meant to go back into our memories and honestly see what God has done for us. You know, that's what Samuel's trying to consistently get them to do. You know, look back at the, you know, this commitment you made with God. It has been rocky, and there's been um, a lot of delivering, I guess, or God's been delivering them at each turn. And at the time you made that commitment, to the, or to this time now, um, you know, you look back and see all the ways God has been working in his unique ways to deepen your relationship with him, you know, how he's protected you maybe in certain areas, right? We all have these stories that we can come up with. And Samuel continues encouraging them. You were nothing special um, when God came to you. You know, you weren't strong in any sense, wise, um, wealthy. You know, you were, God came to you in your normal, I guess, non-special self, and he's chosen you to be to work his will through you. And same with us. You made a commitment at your baptism. And you can look back and see how God was working in unique ways to help us get there. And also continues to deepen the relationship with him from there. You know, I think to my baptism, I'm sure we all have stories like this that, you know, I was I was meant to go to India for three months instead of Australia, but my visa to India got denied twice. I lost two thousand dollars on my, you know, plane ticket, which sucked. So at the time, you know, darn, this stinks. But now looking back, you know, thank you, God, for protecting me from that and bringing me into the church and showing me your word, right? You know, we all have sort of like, yeah, I'm sure each of you could list them off, but I won't single anybody out. <laughs> and remembering is a little bit easier when times are good, right? Although you can fail, fall into the trap of thinking, you know, I got there myself. But aside from that, remembering is much more difficult in harder times. But it's probably more important to remember during these times. You know, you may be going through hard times now, but you've been through hard times before. And you can look back and see God's hand and how he is working. You can trust his character, that he is working through things as a good and faithful father would. And like the other aspect of remembering that we are really, really quick to forget, more than the other side, is that we're in this relationship as well, right? We have a piece of the covenant to uphold. And that's to, you know, Samuel says three times, obey and serve God. Uh, you know, as I was reading through this passage over and over, you, you almost just skip through that. Like, oh, yeah, 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 just, you know, you keep going and reading through. But it's such an important practice, right? And you have to remember that, you know, as I said, if we're thinking back to our baptism, remembering that covenant we made, yes, you made a, a you know, a faithful promise to that you understand God and what he has done for you and how he has saved you. But you also made a commitment that, my life is no longer for myself, but for God, right? You have just as much in this covenant as him, and you are called to uphold that agreement. You know, we love hearing about grace and God's unconditional love for us and the freedom from insecurities and sin that brings. But as I said, it doesn't end there. You have your part to uphold as well. Inspired by love and grace, amen, but still called, you know, called into action. Faith is meant to be practiced out. You know, even a lot of popular psychological therapies know this, that in just practicing it, seeing yourself 
obey and serve and or whatever it may be, reinforces your belief and teaches you and helps you. Your practices and beliefs kind of work together. You know, even Jordan Peterson, um, he's a psychologist, um, he talks about this quite a bit and how your actions are the best representation or fruit, you know, as John would say, of what your belief system is. You made a statement of belief that God has come and rescued you from sin, but now you would live him as king, no longer yourself. We can't forget our end of the agreement, the vows we've made. So just to summarize today, um, you know, we make idols out of anything, and it's detrimental to our relationships with each other and to God, right? It hurts. <laughs> and the best way to make sure that God is the center and we don't create idols out of these things or people is to keep our hearts soft to rebuke in God's word, his correction. And we remember that what he, is, what he has done for us, right? But we also remember what we are now called to do as well. So as we consider those things, let's pray and I think we'll sing one more song. Dear Lord, again, I thank you for this time together. I just pray that we can hear Samuel's words earnestly and honestly that, you know, yeah, as I said, we don't approach, you know, the Israelites with this spugness, but that we, yeah, really take it to heart to know that like them, we can create idols of things, of our leaders, of our spouses, of our careers, whatever it may be, Lord. I just pray that um, you sit in that spot of God, Lord, and that, uh, yeah, we put our trust and hope in you for those things, Lord. So and I just pray that um, you protect us in, in whatever that may be, you know, that we may stay, stop, stay soft to your word and that, um, you yeah, we can just continue and um, remember, constantly pushing ourselves to remember and know the love you've given to us. We love you, Lord. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.